We're in the kind of eye of a hurricane almost, if you, if you would believe that, meaning we just came out of craziness. And I don't know what, maybe, holiday, maybe Christmas wasn't crazy for you, but it, you know, it can be a bit crazy at times, um, just getting all the hustle and bustle of things. We, we came out of that, and then we sit kind of in the middle of a calm. You know what I mean? Because next week we go into New Year's. And so, you know, with the New Year's, you got new planning and new goals and you just got the, you know, you get back into the routine of things and all that just kind of starts back up. And, and so right now we're just kind of like in this, almost in the, uh, in the eye of the storm, like it's just kind of calm. And, and so you have, you're kind of in between two things that are going on, two big holidays. And, and this is, of course, the last service of 2014. So last Sunday, we've had 52 of them or whatever, and, and this is the last one. And this is what I would like to do, is I, I would like for us to, to call a timeout, if we can. Um, I, I used to have, we used to have DirecTV, and one of the things I loved about DirecTV was DVR. You could pause it. And, and we've, since then, have gotten rid of that. And so my boys don't understand commercials because for the majority of their life, we didn't watch commercials because we could pause or fast forward and all that. And uh, I kind of miss that. But um, I would like for us right now to actually pause, to call a timeout, and to stop before we move forward into 2015 with great anticipation and expectation for what God's going to do, that we would stop for a minute and rewind back to January 1, 2014. And we are getting close to the end of this year. A whole year, man, has time flown? I don't know about you, but like the end of the year already. January 2nd for us will be Joel's two-year diagnosis. Two years that, that we've been walking through this stuff with Joel. Next, well, this will be on, what, on, on Thursday or Friday. And so it's just, time has flown. And I don't know about you, but I'm a fast-paced type of guy. I'm a, I'm a hurry type of guy. And I don't know if you know this, but hurriness can be a sickness. Do you know that? I don't know if hurriness, is that a word? And I'll make it up. I tend to do that around here. So hurriness can be a sickness. Here's how you know if you got a hurriness sickness, okay? So here's how you know. So when you're sitting at a stoplight or you're pulling up to a stoplight, you look at the, you, you, you count the number of cars in each lane, and then if it's even, then you start actually looking at the model of cars that they are to determine which one's going to take off faster. Then that's when you know it's bad, right? Like, okay, that's a little bit more of a sports car, so I think that that one's going to go a little faster, so I'm going to get behind that one. So you know it's, it's kind of bad. You also know you got hurriness when you're at Walmart. When you're at Walmart and you're going to check out. Now, how many of you know they got 39 aisles and two open? Which I need to sit down with the manager and talk about this because I have an issue with that. One of them happens to be 20 and under. And so, so my Mondays just get jacked up. So my routine in our house is Mondays. I go, I go to Walmart for Lindsay because uh, she's homeschooling our boys. So I, I'm the Walmart guy. 
So I got everything down to a science. I know the aisles. I got a list. It's on my phone. Lindsay and I coordinate. We, uh, I'll help you husbands out. It's really good. We got this whole thing going on. The thing that frustrates me is checkout, though. Checkout frustrates me. Because you, if there's three aisles open, of course, you're, because there's this hurriness, sickness, you're, you're looking at the aisles, and, and you're looking how many people, and you're looking what's in their basket. <laughs> and you're counting. And then you go over. Okay. And, and so you just pick one. And how many of you know you always pick the one where they got like 15 coupons and they got to return stuff? And you know what I mean? And this is how you know your hurrying to sickness is really bad. Okay. Here's, here's, here's the greatest indicator that hurrying to sickness has got you is when you're waiting in line and you're, you're subliminally putting yourself where you would be in the other line, and you're watching if you would have moved up in the line. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you see the people behind them already going, and you're like, that would have been me. That's when you know you're sick. I'm sick. I can just tell you that right now. Um, and Christmas for me has been... Great, it's been awesome, it's been enjoyable, but it's, it's been also a little hard for me because I'm always in a hurry, I'm always doing stuff, and, and our staff has had extended time off, and we have some extended time off coming up in this next week, and like, I'm like, I gotta do something, like, I just wanna be busy. And the Lord's been putting it really on my heart, and, and um, just about this idea of pausing, Stopping and reflecting and rewinding on all that God has done. So this is something I encourage you and your family to do if you haven't done this already. My family is going to be doing this over the New Year's break coming up. But as we're going to spend some time as a family pausing for a little bit and just reflecting on all that we saw God do this last year. See, sometimes if you don't stop and reflect on what has happened, you don't appreciate what God can do. You know what I mean? Because we're so fast-paced. We're so in next week, next month, next year that we don't realize how faithful God's been in our past. You know, God's past faithfulness is the greatest predictor of his, of his future faithfulness. And God's been so faithful to our family in so many ways. And, and so much of it is, is evident, you know, for you as a church. You've seen a lot of that evidence physically with Joel. This past week was the first time we've ever told Joel in two years to slow down. Slow down. <clears throat> Yesterday I'm working on my message upstairs and Joel comes in my room. Joel doesn't climb our stairs. Because when Joel gets to the top of the stairs, he almost passes out. And Joel climbed up to the top of the stairs and walked in my room. And I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? And wasn't even panting or anything. And so, so we're grateful. God's been good to us. Not only just in the current healing of our son, but we got a new house this year. And we've just been blessed. We've been really blessed. And more than anything, God's been with us in the midst of all that, which is definitely the greatest thing that God's ever done, is he's just been with us. 
And, and I would encourage you to take some time this New Year's before we switch over into 2015 gear that you would put it in idle or even put it in park and sit down with your spouse or sit down with your children and begin to ask questions like, what have you seen God do this year? Did you pray anything this year that God answered? What, what, what were the challenges that we walked through this year? We walked through some pretty significant challenges, and I, I, many of you, we walked through many of challenges with many of you that are in this room. Marital issues and financial issues. There's some people that aren't here that have passed away this year. And so we, we've seen God even in the midst of some really rough spots. But God's been faithful, and he's been good. And before we start thinking about next year, I would encourage you greatly to pause and to remember and reflect on all that's happened. And maybe not even all that's happened in 2014. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is just what God's done. Next month, we're celebrating as a church 15 years. 15 years. Bernetta, 15 years. Bernetta's one of the 15 years. Like I was, I was like yet a, a young blooming flower 15 years ago. Is that manly to say? I don't know if that's too manly. I was a young buck. Um, but it's been a joy to be on this journey for 15 years and to see God's faithfulness to this house. Gosh, it's been so faithful to this house. Um, 15 years later and three churches and hundreds and hundreds of people getting saved and just launching people out of here. It's been a, it's been a joy, but it's been, it's been hard as heck. It's been really hard. Seeing people you love pass away, seeing you people you love leave and, and that whole thing that goes on there and just watching people, 15 years, I was thinking of this, 15 years, like I've seen people go from a baby to almost graduating. Like I'm feeling old. And I know I'm still young, but I'm feeling it. You know, and, and seeing people that were in our youth group having multiple babies now. And like it's just, it's, it's awesome. But we've walked through a journey and it's been a journey. And if there's anything I hope to encourage you with is that, the, you know, our walk with the Lord is a journey. It's not really just the end destination of heaven, but it's a journey of walking with the Lord and seeing God just be faithful during the ups and the downs and walking through life and just being consistent there and seeing what God's done in, in my life and in this church and in many of your, your lives, and it's just been great. And so this actually has nothing to do with my message. But I just wanted to just pause for a minute and encourage you to pause and watch what it, it does for your family. Um, because we live in such a fast pace, we, we so quickly forget all that God's done. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. When you start listing out all the stuff, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a renewed passion of thanksgiving and gratefulness for God. You've been faithful here. We prayed for this job. We prayed for this. We prayed for my husband. I prayed for this. I'm doing this, and you've done this, and you've done, and you just start checking, checking. 
Maybe it's been a really hard year, but yet God's just been with you. He's been with you. I would encourage you to do that. Amen? Um, all right, now let's, let's talk about this message here. So the title of this message is The Tricycle Church. And uh, most of the content of what I'm sharing is not going to be new whatsoever at all, because if you've been here at OSC for any duration of time, you know our vision and values as a church, but I felt like this would maybe be a fresh way to share some of that going into the new year. One of the things that I've always wanted as a kid and growing up and definitely in high school and then as a college age guy was I've always wanted a motorcycle. Always. And as long as I lived underneath my mom's roof, she said, you will never own a motorcycle. And so I never owned one. And then I went to internship and then, I, and then quickly after I got married and I, I wanted a motorcycle. I've always wanted a motorcycle. And Pastor Zach screwed that up for all of us. He had to go jack it up. If y'all know Pastor Zach had a little moped. It wasn't even a motorcycle. It was a moped. It literally almost died. And all of our wives were like, nope. No more. No mas. So this is the type of, um, of motorcycle that my wife has allowed me to have. Can we put a picture up of it? Um, this is the type that she lets me have. I could have one of these kind of motorcycles. That is a trike. You're exactly right. Um, it's a bad boy. I wouldn't mind driving that. It's a little ghetto, but so am I. So I'm cool with that. So if anybody sees this and you want to bless your pastor, this, she, I, this is allowed. Um, and the reason it's allowed is because there's not two wheels, there's three wheels. And so one of the things that my boys also got for Christmas is they got a trike too. And um, these are really fun to ride, and it's, it's um, 160 pound maximum, but I just had to try. Um, and the thing about a trike, whether it's the motorcycle trike or a trike for a kid, I, I, I loved riding a trike. I had a trike like this whenever I was a kid. It wasn't as cool as this with all fancy stuff, but it was like an old school, like that red trike that you saw more on there. But the thing about a trike is there's stability, Yet it can move forward fast. You can get going fast, but it's stable. You're not, you know, you're not all over the place. It's, it's extremely stable. And so I got this, the boys got this gift for Christmas, and I just started thinking, like, this is how the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to move forward fast, but be extremely stable. We should be a stable church. Then I start thinking about our core values as a church and what that is for us and, and how, how does this all work. So I want to talk to you about what does a tricycle church look like, okay? So let's take some notes here. Um, let's, get, let's get going. So the tricycle church is this. The front wheel, this wheel right here, this is the most important wheel out of all. And for us, this wheel is encountering God. This is, our, this is our wheel. That us as a church, the first and fi- primary thing, we, we say it like this, is, is connecting to Jesus. It's one of the ways that we share our core value is that we connect to Jesus. But wheel number one is the front wheel, and it's the most important, and it's that, that we encounter God. 
Moses in the Old Testament was out herding his sheep and stuff. And the Bible says that God wanted to speak to him. And so God literally set a burning bush on fire and he spoke out of it. And as Moses was walking by it, he sees a burning bush. The Bible says, and I think this is the best part, that Moses stops, he pauses to turn to the bush. And the bush speaks back and says, Moses, this is holy ground, take off your shoes and all that. But this idea of him pausing and looking at the bush, God speaking to him and him hearing God's voice, and that was the place where God called him to go and free the children of Israel out of the slavery. But this is idea of encountering God. From that moment on, Moses was never the same. He was called by God at that moment. And then from there on, the life of Moses was marked by him having these encounters with God. I think you have a verse there, but uh, Exodus 33, 11. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses. How did he speak to him? Face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33 is a great chapter about Moses having these dialogues with, with God. And he would have these encounters with God. And the way that it would work is that Moses would go to God. God would speak to Moses face to face as, as me speaking to you. And then Moses would represent God to the people. And he would come to the people and say, God said whatever. We're to go here. We're to fight here. We're to stay here. He would, he would go before the Lord. The Lord would speak to him. And if you go and you continue to read in Exodus chapter 33, one of the parts is that, that, that Moses even tells God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Because the, 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 the thing that's going to distinguish us differently than any other people on the, on the planet is that we have the presence of God with us. And might I say that as we move forward into 2015 as a church, that the one thing that would distinguish our Savior's church, people, and family, is that the presence of God is with us. God, I pray that we would be a church that encounters the Lord because we know that not only did Moses speak to God face to face, and we go and read all throughout the Old Testament, and you had prophets. And the way that it worked is it was God, and then a prophet, and then the people. And God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would speak to the people, and the people would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would speak to God. And it was this, this whole mediating process of us having to go to somebody for them to speak to God on our behalf. But here's the great news, is that Jesus came down as the great high priest, and he's torn that veil, and he died on the cross so that we could, he could bring us back to God so that no longer do we have to go through somebody else to speak to God, but now God directly speaks to us. Meaning you have the exact same ability to hear from God as I do. That when I go and spend time with Jesus and he opens up his word to me, that that same thing is, is now available for all of us and that the spirit of God now resides within us. And when you go and you read throughout this book, you see men and women that had encounters with God. And when they had encounters with God, they were never the same. They were never the same. See, because here's the deal. When you and I follow Jesus, he's going to change you for the rest of your life. So here's the big question that you've got to ask yourself. Are you changing? Are you changing? 
Because if you're not changing, you're not following. Because when you follow Jesus, he's always changing us more and more into his image. He's refining us and correcting us. He's encouraging us. But the more we walk with Jesus, the more we should look like him. It's just like your children. The more they hang out with you, the more they begin to take on your personality and some of your smart aleck ways and all that, you know, fun stuff. But at times you're like, oh my goodness, what did I teach my child? All that. You know what I'm talking about? But as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to look more and more like him. I love this verse, Acts 4, 13. It says this, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, what does it say? It says, and they perceived that these guys were, they were uneducated and they were common men. All of the people, what were they? They were what? They were astonished. Now, they weren't astonished because these guys were like, you know, great philosophers. They weren't astonished because these guys were very affluent. I mean, these are, these are fishermen for the most part, tax collectors. And they see Peter and John and they say, we're amazed at these guys. And this is why they were amazed. They were recognized that what? They had been with Jesus. They'd recognize that they had been with Jesus. Mark chapter 3. I'm just wanting to take you just kind of throughout Scripture to show you God's desire for us. Mark 3, 13 through 14. And, and, and it says, And Jesus went up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. Now watch this. This is the whole reason why he called them. So that they might what? That they might be with him and, now we've got to get the second part though, that he might send them out to preach. So, <clears throat> Jesus models to us in his life what he wants us as a church to do and be. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we can see what Jesus does and we go, we want to do that. But not only do we want to do that, we want to be that. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. He grabs 12 guys and he says, guys, I want you to be with me. Follow me. Be with me. But I, I don't want to just want you to be with me because I need some friends. I don't want you to just be with me because we're going to create a, a club that nobody else can get into. I want you to be with me because I'm going to train you up and then I'm going to send you out. And everything that you're going to learn from me, you're going to begin to do. And that is the whole reason of why we need to encounter God. Because if we don't encounter God, we don't know what he wants us to do. But when we encounter God, when we spend time with God, when we're with God, he not only encourages us, but he changes us and he transforms us and then he sends us out. We'll get to that part in just a minute. But the beginning of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve, and God creates Adam and Eve. And at the beginning, before sin was in the world, God hung out with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the garden. He was with them. The whole reason God put people on the earth was to be with them. And then, of course, we know sin enters in the world, breaks all that up, and guess what? God can't be with his people like he used to be. So that's where Jesus comes in and takes care of all of that for us so that we can now be with God again. And so we have this idea that the, the front wheel 
of our church is that we connect to Jesus, that we encounter God, that we're never the same. I had a friend, you know, I, I grew up out of the trike and got onto a bike as I grew older. And one of the things, you know, just growing up in junior high and high school, you love to do is you, you put like pegs on the back and you let all your friends ride on it. And then we, you know, your boys, you create ramps. You have to. I'm just waiting for my boys one day. But you just, you have to have ramps. You got to jump stuff. And so we were always, uh, my dad was always into making bikes for us. Like he would just go find different parks and build bikes. So all of our bikes were like built bikes. And so he taught us how to work on them. And, and so me and my friend would always work on our bikes. And, uh, and one day my friend and I were out riding and we were jumping ramps. And, and he jumped. And when he jumped, his front wheel came off. And sure enough, you know that that doesn't end well. Never ends well. Um, and it ended pretty badly. <clears throat> and of course, he turned the thing trying to think that in turning it, he would avoid it. But in turning it, he stuck himself into the, into the handlebars. It's pretty, pretty bad. But come to find out what had happened is while we were working on the bikes, he had forgot to tighten the front bolt of the wheel, which is why the wheel came off. Now, I'm getting somewhere on this because here's the deal. If we as a church don't tighten the front wheel when it comes to connecting with Jesus, if we're not connecting with God, it, you can't ride the bike. Everything else is null and void if there's no connecting with God. Because here's what you can do. You can try to pop a wheelie and ride for a little while, but you're not going to get too far. You need the front wheel to be able to go and to go fast. And so we are called to encounter God and whatever you are going through, the answer is not outside of Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all that we need. Let, let, let's do a little exercise. I, I want you to participate with me. And, and this, is, this is the idea of being with Jesus. When we're with Jesus, these are the things that I pray when, when I spend time with the Lord. Here's, here's one of the things I'll, I'll just tell you real practically. As I say this, God, I need the eyes of Jesus to see the people. I need the ears of Jesus to hear the people. I need the mouth of Jesus to encourage the people. I need the heart of Jesus to love the people. And I need the hands and feet of Jesus to reach the people. That's what you and I need. We need the ears to hear people, eyes to see people. Mouth to encourage and love people, heart to love people, hands and feet to go out and to reach people. We encounter God for that purpose, that we can get God's heart. We can get his mind and his eyes and his ears. So we encounter God. That is the front wheel. Let's talk about these back wheels. We'll break them down one at a time. So the, the front wheel is encountering God. The, the second wheel, one of the back wheels, is discipleship. It's the heart of this house. You'll hear it another way. We say it like this, grow with others. And we grow with others. Romans 12, verse 5, it says this. It says, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong, what does it say? Come on, let's say it like we mean it. To what? To each other. And each of us, now watch this, each of us needs 
all the others. Look at somebody next to you. Say, I need you. Then look at the person you didn't want to look at and say, you need me. We need each other. It's biblical. Let me ask this question. Why is Jesus so interested in our relationships? Because the reason is the the one thing that's probably had the most influence in where you are right now is probably the people that are in your life. I'll repeat that again because that was just really good. Probably the, one of the number one reasons why you are where you are in life is because of the people that you have in your life. The people that you surround yourself are the ones who have the greatest influence in your life. And so don't be surprised that the people that you hang around with, you begin to act like. You know, misery finds great company. It does. Miserable people just seem to have a knack for finding more miserable people. And then they're like all miserable together. I've never really understood that. Like, I hate being miserable. Are you miserable? I'm miserable. Let's be miserable together. And so we have to be careful to guard our relationships. And for us, it's through discipleship. In 2012, Saddleback Church, which is Rick Warren's church, which is probably one of the one of the largest churches in the nation did a challenge to their church. Now listen to this, this is crazy. So two years ago, they did this challenge to their entire church to lose weight. They went on this whole thing where the whole church was going to get fit and lose weight. And they encouraged them to actually do it with the Daniel plan, which is, we'll talk about that actually in a little bit. And, and, and here's what they found. When they came out of the year, at the end of the year, they found that the people who had a partner lost twice as much weight as those who did it alone. They found that those who did it with a partner had three times better of a chance of actually finishing the program than those who did it alone. Have any of you tried working out by yourself? Now, some of you are naturally motivated. But for the rest of us who live in real life, It's a bit harder. The last time I worked out is when I had a workout partner. I don't even remember what year that was. <laughs> Many. I think it was running, but that was with the dog, and that wasn't a good partner. So we talked about that one a couple weeks ago. But I'm, 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 I'm very much the same way that I, I, I need motivation. We're, and, and, and let me encourage you with this. We're called to walk together. There's a reason that we call this church a spiritual family, because in family you need each other. Now, you may not like each other, you may not want each other, but you need each other. The young need the old, the the old need the young. I mean, we, we all need each other, and we don't function well on our own. And here's the thing, if you can't be the body of Christ by yourself, The body of Christ has many parts, so it needs every part doing their part. Every part. And every one of you are a part. You have a part to play within the body of Christ. And you will never fulfill the destiny without other people in your life that can strengthen you and encourage you. And and, and a part of that is why 
we've made some of the structural changes that we've had within the past two months. So, because we feel as a church that if we're going to continue to expand our influence into the areas around here and beyond and hopefully around the world, that Pastor Bubba can't be at all. And I know how much so many of you like having him answer every single one of your calls. But we are now no longer a church of just 200. We're now a church of almost close to 500. And then over the course of the next year, hopefully we'll grow to five and seven and a thousand and keep on going. And we're going to be a church that's continually planning more churches, which means our senior pastor has to be in a role now where he's pastoring pastors. And our pastors now are pastoring people. And, and the way that it begins to work is that God now puts the mantle on him to be able to go and be an overseer and dream and have visions and, and to not be in the nitty-gritty of what's going on and the day-to-day things of what's going on here because he's continually seeing where God's bringing us as a church. And we need that. We need to continue to see where God's bringing us as a church. But we also need the, the hands and feet right here in the midst of what's going on, which is a transition of why Lindsay and I came into this role. And then let me even tell you what my role is. My role is not to pastor everybody here either. My role here is to pastor our leaders to be good pastors and to train our life group leaders to shepherd well. Because I can't meet with 200 people. Y'all, y'all with me? So we need people to rise to the occasion and step up and go, I want to love people with you. I want to shepherd people with you. And that's, that's what we do in all of our ministries and all of our life groups is we train them to be ministers of the gospel. Discipleship is, is about we. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about we and what God is doing with all of us. And, and here's the thing. When we talk about discipleship, most of the time, most of us think, well, I, don't, I can't really disciple people. If you were to really simply put discipleship, lay it out in a simple term, discipleship is simply introducing and leading people to Jesus. That's all it is. And for many of you in here, you've been saved for way longer than any people. And if you've been saved for one day longer than somebody else, then that means you can help somebody else. Y'all with me? We can, we're all, the mantle of discipleship is on all of us. To be a disciple of Jesus, but then to also disciple others. You're in your workplace to be a discipler. You're in your school to be a discipler. You're in your neighborhood to be a discipler. But here's the problem. So much of our faith ends and terminates on us. It's all about I come to get fed, I come to get served, I come to get met, I come to get need. And we forget that there's a lost and dying world out there. Let's just start with just our own city. Over 9,000 people in Jennings on the last census said that they don't go to church anywhere. So I'm not even talking about all the people that go to Catholic church or Baptist church. Over 9,000 people in our own area said that they don't go to church anywhere. That's a number I'd like to see go down because of our church and the churches around here. Amen on that one? Amen. 2 Timothy 2.2, I'm going to read this. Well, I'll read Deuteronomy 6.4 first and then I'll go to 2 Timothy. Deuteronomy 6.4 talks about discipleship. And let me tell you where the best discipleship happens. You know where the best discipleship happens? In your family. That's where Jesus actually originated. That's where he wanted it to start. 
In Deuteronomy 6, is Moses encouraging the children of Israel. Look what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. That's going to be the entire next series. So get ready for that. Um, You shall teach them. Now watch this. This is to parents in here. You shall teach them diligently to your children and and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is he saying? Talk about Jesus, show Jesus, talk to your kids always about Jesus. When you're sitting down, talk about Jesus. When you're at home, talk about Jesus. When you're out driving around, talk about Jesus. Find opportunities all the time to talk about Jesus. Remember, and I was just telling you earlier, let's pause before the new year and sit down with our kids and just talk about what did Jesus do. That's, that's this. That's how we disciple our children. So we show them and we tell them Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust it to faithful men. Now notice this, that who will be able to teach others also. This is how we advance the kingdom. It's through discipleship. So we're discipling people, engaging people in our life groups, engaging people in our serve teams, engaging you in your life, and encouraging you to press on, to get more and more and become more like Jesus. It is the heartbeat of this house. If our heart wasn't for people and to reach people, we would just keep people. Y'all with me? Pastor Jamie would be here. Pastor Zach would be here. Alex would be here. We would just hoard. We'd be like a hoarder. we just hoard all the best people. But the thing I love about this house is that we send out our best. And let me just tell you something. We're just, we're just starting in what I believe God's going to send out in a large quantity over the coming years. And I've always believed that the Jennings campus would send the most. Because that's my passion. I love training people and then kicking them in the rear and getting them out of here. Now it's hard to see them leave because they're great and you spend all that time training them. It's just like your own children. You spend so many years and then they got to go and you're like, oh, it's so hard. But yet we know in order to fulfill the call of God on their life, they got to go. Y'all with me? And I guarantee you there's a ton of people at the Eunice campus right now that are so glad we sent people. And right now there's over a hundred and some people meeting in Crowley that are so glad that not only we sent Pastor Zach and his wife, but we sent a whole team of people over there. And there's a lot of people that are meeting Jesus because we didn't hoard. Are y'all with me? But we discipled and said, go. And so that's our command. That's our passion here is to disciple you and then to release you in whatever vocation you have that you go out and reach people wherever you are. And so that is the second will is discipleship. And I encourage you over the coming months as we plug away and start getting into life groups and we start getting connected that you join this house and get plugged into people. And then the third one, the the third wheel is mission. So we got encountering God. That's the thing that drives this church. We're encountering God. We want people to encounter God. We want people to find new life in Christ. We want to see changed lives. But then the, the back wheels that bring stability is when they, get, when they have an encounter with God, then they start getting discipled. They start learning about what, what it is to follow God. And then the other thing 
is mission. That we train and equip you to find what God's called you to do. That you find that there's a passion inside of you. Now notice this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, we know this, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. That's great. Now watch what happens though. All of this is from God who there, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now watch this. So God, we encounter God right here. He reconciles us to himself. Okay? We got that part. Now watch what happens though. He doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. Now he gives us, what does he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. Now he's going to explain what that is. That is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and, and now he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, what is that word? Ambassadors for Christ. Now, this is the part that has always blown me away. God is making his appeal through us. Now we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are Jesus with skin on. You are Jesus to this world. You bring Christ to people and you bring people to Christ. That is our mission. And let me, let me, let me tell you why I know that that's our mission. Because if God's sole desire was for you just to be with him, when he saved you, he would have killed you. God, I surrender my life to you. Rapture. Right? I mean, that's what would have happened, right? I mean, because if, if the end goal is that we're just in heaven with Jesus, okay, let me get saved, let me get baptized, and just hold me down. That would be a baptism most people wouldn't want to go to. So, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go spend time with Jesus. <laughs> Next, you're up. Okay. Okay, you know, you know what I'm saying? But not only are we called to God, but then God gives us a calling. And that calling and that mission is that we'd be passionate about spreading the greatest news on the planet, that we would be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is simply someone who goes and represents somebody else with the same authority. And so God has put you and I here as ambassadors for Christ, and he's making his appeal through us. Listen, our Savior's Church Jennings, listen. This is our community. We're responsible for it. Jennings Elementary is our school. Ward Elementary is our school. Lake Arthur Elementary is our school. Welsh and Hathaway and Elton and Iota and all of the surrounding cities and schools, that's ours. That's our responsibility. This is my city. If anybody's talking bad about Jennings, you will have to fend with me. Because God has sent us here in this city and in this region and the, the small cities surrounding us for a purpose greater than just to go to church, but to be the church. Amen. Are y'all with me? 
Listen, it's a lot easier to sit in here and say amen and write down some notes. It's a whole nother thing to walk out of here and Monday through Friday be the church and go love some people that are unlovable and give your life as a ransom to people. But let me ask you this. If Jesus was willing to give his life for his house, is it possible that he's asking us to do the same thing? Um, My encouragement, listen, if you're seated next to a seat next to you that's empty, and I see a number of them, would you just touch it and say, Jesus, fill this seat. Fill this seat. And then would you just touch yourself and say, give me the boldness to ask somebody to church. (laughs) Because guess how it gets filled? You bring them. So let's get real personal. When's the last time you brought somebody to church? If we have the greatest news on the planet, and we believe that this is true, and we believe that people will literally have an eternal damnation in hell and will burn, then why are we so passive to try to get people to Jesus? That should drive everything that we do. May I remind you, if you walk out these doors and you look on the wall, there's a painting. And the painting is called, Who Cares? Next time, just go and look at it. And it's a picture of people that are sitting on a pier on a rock. Some are eating, some are painting, some are just hanging out. And the picture is a picture of just torrential waves and literally people in these waves reaching out to the people on the pier crying out for help. And all of the people on the pier, who cares? Let me, let, me you, let me let you into my heart for 2015. God, I pray that the lost would be such a burden on our heart. Whether it's your neighbor or your coworker or a family member, The devil wants to get us so busy that we get distracted on what our main purpose here on earth is. And our main purpose is to share the greatest news possible. Remember, you're here today because somebody was bold enough to share that news with you. Whether it was your mom or dad or a friend or somebody, but God drew you in and God did that in you. And God, I, I pray there's, there's four billion people on this planet that don't know Jesus. We know for sure at least 9,000 in this area, and we know there's a lot more than that. 
But we know that's for sure. But the heartbeat of this house is that we're going to reach people. But not only are we going to reach them, we're going to build their lives. So we're going to see them meet Jesus, but then we're going to disciple them to know Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God wants to use you? I mean, really? You've got to really ask that question. Do you really believe that God wants to use you? See, here's, here's, what, here's what inhibits us from being used by God often is our past failures. And so because of our past, we don't believe that God can use us in the present. But can I tell you, today's a new day. And when I read the Bible, it is full of failures. That's why it's actually encouraging. You go read the life of David. Like he murdered people, was an adulterer, and he said, it was, and the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. That's good news. Should be to somebody in here. Rahab, a prostitute, the lineage of Jesus came through there. I mean, we, we just go down the list of all the disciples that were jokes. Paul killing Christians. I mean, we just go down the list of these people who you would think there's no way God could use these people, but those are the ones that God specialized in the most. And I believe God wants to do that here, not because we're awesome, but because he's awesome. And God's heart breaks for this community, and God's heart breaks for this region. <clears throat> and he's wondering if we're going to answer that call. And listen, at some point, our faith has to collide with our responsibility. At some point, Jesus didn't just save us for us. He saved us for a purpose. And let me end this and I'll, and I'll show you. So you got encountering God. People are connecting to Jesus. You got discipleship. People are growing with others. You got mission. People are serving on mission. If you're here in this house, I pray that you'd be serving somewhere in this house, doing something for the mission of God, whether inside or outside the house. But notice all this. It's all built on a frame. Guess what the frame is? The church. He does it through the church. Now, now yet again, remember, the church is not a place. It's a, it's a people. So how do people encounter God? How do people get discipleship? How do people find mission? Through the church. That's why we are a tricycle church. We are the vehicle in which God uses to reach these people. Now, watch. Let me show you. We'll end with this verse, Roman, uh, Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Now, watch this. To him be glory in what? Church. In the church. And in Christ Jesus. Now, watch this. Throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's three things that I feel like this church is, needs to be, and we'll wrap this up. The church is to be a home. 
Remember, we're talking about this frame that can get this thing going and moving. We believe that the church is a home. It's a place of welcome. It's a place where people are welcome, where they feel at home, a place where people can lay down their weights. It's a place where people can be honest. How many of you know when you get home, like you are you? Like you don't have to wear a mask at home. You don't have to be all dressed up at home. Like you just wear whatever you want at home, okay? You just, you just real and open. God, I pray that that would be this place. That when people walk in here with whatever spiritual hangups they got, with whatever hurts that they got, that they would go, this is home and I can be real and I can share and share about my vulnerabilities and what's going on. But that God's house would be a place that's a home. The second one is that we would be a hospital because we understand that as we reach people, people are broken and that they need healing. Marriages will be dying. Families will be in shatters. Finances will be in a wreck. And guess what? It's going to get messy. If you're going to be a house that helps hurting people, it's going to have sick people. I need to say that again. (laughs) If you're going to be a place that's reaching hurting people, it's going to be a place filled with sick people. So don't be surprised when people come in here and wear things that doesn't seem church right. That's okay. You know why? They're broken people. They're hurting people. They need healing. They need healing in their lives. Are y'all with me? People come in here and still got hang-ups and addictions and things. May we not be so self-righteous to realize that we were once that. And it's only by the grace of God that we are where we are today. Amen? That same grace we extend freely to those that are, that are here. It's a, we're a hospital for those that are hurting. And last one is we are a headquarters. We are a place of purpose. Not only do we want to get healed, but we want to get strong. And we want to get going. Let me tell you something right now. If, if, if you don't have a passion to encounter God, to get discipled, to serve in some way on mission, this church will be extremely uncomfortable for you. Because the vision that we know God has given us is that we want to do his mission, we want to do his passion, we want to reach his neighborhoods, his communities. And we want to be a people, well, here's how I'd put it. This is how I'd put it for us. What if we were to give God a blank check? A blank check. Like you give somebody a blank check, that's pretty dangerous. You know, you give your wife, like, go get whatever. Here's a blank check. Like that's, that can be dangerous. Give your kids a blank check, you know. What would it be like if we gave God a blank check and said, God, use me any way you want this year. My resources are yours. My job is yours. My family's yours. My house is yours. My talents are yours. My marriage is yours. My money is yours. My giftings is yours. Everything is yours. I am a blank check. Use me however you want. What would it look like if over 200 people here that call OSC home would say, God, I'm a blank check. Do whatever you want with me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll give whatever you want me to give. I am a blank check. 
That's my prayer for myself this year and for our family. There's nothing that I have that I hold dearly to myself that I don't want to be able to give away if God asks for it. Y'all with me?